Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Nabil, the CTO at Extreme Networks, and we discuss the intricacies of building an A team, how to scale results throughout an organization, and how to create an environment where diversity of thought and experience can thrive. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hey, Joel, how are you? Fantastic, my friend. How are you doing today? Very well, very well. Good to see you. You ready to rock and roll? Yeah, let's do this thing, man. Why not? We're just going to hang out and talk. And like, yeah, yeah. Just you and me, like as if we were going hanging out at lunch. So we can edit it. We're going to make us all sound really smart and good and awesome. Love it. Love it. If there's a magic formula to make me sound smart, you got to give it to us too, man. We're doing it. It's called having <laughs> a Jake. <laughs> Could you imagine what life would be like if you could like record it ahead of time and then just release like the most perfect moments? That would be unbelievable. I know. Isn't it, don't you think that's that's what you know the social media is these days? People just curate their lives and kind of like pick the best pictures and the moments and stuff. I don't know, man. I, I actually think that, that that might make people sadder in reality, but then I'm not the social media generation. So what do I know? <laughs> Well, it's an, you're a human, so it is an interesting topic because it forces individuals to develop new skills like discipline, right? Mm -hmm. Like you'd have to mm -hmm. understand that this is how the tool is being used. I think a lot of the trouble is when, when you get like the 12 year olds or the less mature people mm -hmm. uh, mentally, like when they get, they start consuming this content and thinking that that's reality. Mm -hmm. having enough life experience to know you go like people go on there and they happen to post the best versions of themselves and right yeah it's like you know controlling your like food intake <laughs> right it's a, it's a yeah, skill you have yeah. to learn absolutely and, and i think and i know this is probably like off topic but this is an interesting topic to me because it kind of boils down to what what is the impact of technology on society because guess you know the social media internet and stuff this is what we do um, you know, we we kind of like have a hand in this networking thing and, and making this possible. And I just feel that there are there are some great, amazing things that technology does. But then at the same time, technology, like any other tool, could be misused as well. And I think this is perhaps the first time in our history where where technology is moving way faster than our ability to adapt the social norms around it. So it's a really interesting experiment. It hasn't really happened uh, yet to this extent in the history of mankind. So we'll see how it goes. I like to think about it because I, I like the way you think. I can already tell you think about life and stuff. I feel like our civilization is almost going through a puberty. Like we're going uh -huh. through this like adolescent phase and there's gonna we're going to have the teenage angst and then we're going to yep. get into maturity and then we're going to yep. get some smooth sailing. I, 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 I think I agree with you. I think we're like, 13 year old right now. <laughs> yep. And then, and then hopefully we'll be past 18. Once we're past 21 and we can drink, we'll be, we'll be golden. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> or, or once we get to the point where like drinking causes the hangover. So we're smart enough to like not do it as yeah. much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I wanted to give uh, a shout out to your designers 
like when mm-hmm. I was going through your website and your content and like doing all my research and learning about you, I just consistently, you guys have fantastic design. I'm personally a design geek. And so I was, I always like to give a shout out. So that's awesome. That's, that, that's great to hear. I mean, like it's Carl and Christy are kind of representing that, but we have some really phenomenal people in, and that obviously reflects in anything marketing related that we do. But if you ever get a chance to kind of go on our technology and product side, you will see a similar kind of vibe there. Because look, in the end, what you see is a huge part of how you experience a thing. Um, and just because we are technology people, that, that doesn't negate that basic principle. Our vision is one of the most important ways in which we interact, not just with our environment, but also with technology as well. Uh, so design is is one of the key elements of technology in today's world. And then what's your core business model? So we are in the networking industry, right? Um, so we have tons and tons of technology, right? You know, some of the some of the stuff that stays behind the scenes, you can think of like, you know, when you think of like data centers and networks, there's like these massive racks full of, you know, hardware and switches and routers and stuff. So that's one portion of our business. The other portion of our business is more experiential in the sense that, look, all technology have different people who experience it. There are users who experience it, and there are multiple classes of the user. So there are the users who are actually running these networks. So that's obviously a user, but then there are their users. So say, for example, if in a retail store, our technology is deployed, sure, the IT of the retail store is is the user, but so are the customers that are walking around um, you know, in the store and they experience the technology. So the second part of our uh, entire business model is around that experience for the user, for the buyer, for the seller, for the users, users, and so on and so forth. And that is pretty much centered around cloud. And cloud, I mean, a cloud is kind of an interesting word because different people kind of think of it differently. But to me, cloud is a culture. Cloud is a way of doing things. Uh, starting from experience, starting from being omni-channel, starting from instant gratification, if you would, uh, you know, instant feedback, where all of a sudden distances don't really matter and stuff like that. So if you combine all of that and call that, you know, code and code cloud, um, then the rest of our business is centered around cloud. I like that that explanation because I've been talking to a lot of different you know cloud experts trying to wrap my mind around it. And one of the things that really helped my education, someone was explaining it to me about, like if you take groups of developers at a company that didn't have cloud, they just had like an on-prem solution. And then you can't, like if you just switch them to cloud, the actual workflows of the developers are different. The culture is different. You have to have different talent. You'll have to like bring in other engineers to help like work next to them. And, And then you have different processes within the organization about how you actually would get an instance booted up. And so this concept of cloud just being servers non, at, not at your location is, has kind of like gone away and it's shifting yeah. to this like cloud is, a, is like a culture. And I love yeah. that. Absolutely. And, and think about this way, right? Because it's not just the developers that are part, and I have lots and lots of them, some of the most brilliant ones out there, but that's not the only part. The other part is, well, what are you going to do with the cloud? So that's the product definition part, or you know, traditionally we call it product management. That's also part of my organization. And they have to shift as well. Because when you are developing a product, 
you are developing a set of features functionality that you're going to package it together either in a hardware or even in a software and you're going to deliver that when you are envisioning cloud you are designing an experience and that experience the funny part is or the interesting part is that that as you're designing it the expectations of that experience from the users is always so evolving is also changing so you really have to immerse yourself into that experience and think of it from the human point of view rather than just the technology point of view and then you get it and then you say like okay this is what cloud means yeah my developer is part of it my product definition person is part of it my professional services person is part of it my sales person is part of it and most importantly my user is an active participant into this my user is going to help me develop this help me evolve this so so i know i get very passionate about it but for me cloud is not a technology cloud is a culture and a company that really wants to transition to cloud has to start that at a cultural level so so your your path here to where you are today did you start out like doing a bunch of the wrong things or did you get in a position where your first projects you were just surrounded by amazing people and just soaked it all up so it's interesting i'm going to answer it slightly differently yes absolutely surrounded by amazing people no doubt about that but no nobody gets to it like right away that look bang first try it's it's awesome um but i don't really think that on the cloud journey there's any rights and wrongs there's just the key is to move the only wrong part is if you sit and wait that's the only wrong part so what you do is i always tell my teams like look move fast and and an experiment and like one of the mantra that i have for my team is fearless innovation because one of the biggest thing that stops innovation is the fear that oh shit this is not going to work right and so you got to just keep moving you'll keep doing things but just know that those things you might think that they're the best thing in the world your user might or might not agree with you and if they don't agree with you get the feedback move on right and and so i think our journey started from kind of getting a team together and kind of like having this vision a general vision that this is the direction in which we're moving and then again as i said i'm a big culture you know fan where we started with developing that culture do not be afraid and do not stop just keep moving you will do right things you'll do wrong things you'll think people like you'll do things people don't like as long as you're doing one more thing right than wrong you're moving forward just keep doing it and it's a muscle right so if you if you develop a team that is exercising that muscle then they keep getting better and better just like an athlete right the more they practice the better they get yes there is a certain amount of you know innate talent if you would uh but that innate talent does not determine whether you're going to be on that podium or not it's your non-stop effort towards that that's really what makes you successful and it's no different with teams you just keep doing it keep moving fast and more importantly just making sure that the culture of the team is solid is rich and is consistent so yeah like when you when you take about talk about the sports analogy right i was looking at you know a few years ago i was doing some research i was reading all the you know biographies of billionaires that are currently alive that i enjoy like musk bezos branson and then i was mm -hmm. looking at pro athletes and i was trying to 
in an informal way, like educate myself on how these people think, because I found that, that if you can emulate how someone thinks in their decision-making process, that's like a superpower. And it wasn't being taught anywhere. There's like no course on it. So I, I was just putting it together myself. And what I found is that a couple things that I didn't hear talked about much at all. And I think the biggest one was that they drill, they, they find this way to like drill and practice the fundamentals, but the mm -hmm. magic is really, because I started drilling the fundamentals and I found out the hardest part about that is consistency. And the thing that allows mm -hmm. you to win there is your ability to make it new again. Like how do you make the fundamentals interesting and new again for yourself? Like, and if you can figure out how to play that game, then you're mm -hmm. just going to go straight to the top. Absolutely. And, and I mean, you said that you are really into design, which is awesome because I love design as well. But that is the design theory, right? It's just you take the familiar from one context and apply it to solve another problem in another context. And that's what brings that intuitiveness to your solution. Now, now the way I think about it is, and that applies to your product, that applies to your team. Because look, you know, th there's so much amazing stuff that people in the sports have done people in like other areas anywhere where there's a concept of team um, you know starting from you know the first responders you know that's a team right so all of those things when you bring them together and you apply them in a technology space people might be like oh this analogy doesn't really make sense but it's familiar to people and when you bring it into a different context they just they just lock on to that and and then to our mutual point you got to stay consistent with it no matter the world's best strategy, best tactic, the first time something doesn't go right and you get scared and you change it, you just lost it. You gotta have the courage to say that, look, some things are gonna ride, some things are not going to go right, but I have a vision. Yes, I will course correct, but I will not abandon it. Within reason, of course, but, but I think that in the technology space, people, People sometimes leave things too quickly rather than adjusting it, course correcting it. Um, courage plays a big role in it. And I'm not talking about individual courage of a leader or anything, but the courage of the team. And again, boils down back to the culture. If you develop that culture of strength, a culture of uh, courage, and a culture of, look, change is constant, either we can change or we can initiate that change or the change will force us. Either way, you know, we're ready to go. I mean, like once you develop that, it, it just really all comes together. Yeah. So you, you have a, like a large organization, you have more than 200 people in technology, right? Just for conversation purposes. Yeah, I have more, I'm more than 1200 people in my team. Okay, but yeah. perfect. Good. <laughs> yeah. You get over that hump of like, you, you have to deal with mass communication. And so, which is like the, the root of my, my interest right now. So mm. you, we talk a lot about culture, very important. Is that the strategy for how to, to scale the results that you, that you want? Like, how do you, you have 1200 people and mm. you can't go sit down with every single one of them. So you have to find a way to scale yourself across this organization. Mm -hmm. So how do you think about that? Yeah, that, that brilliant question, and they, which is something that we spend a lot of time thinking about and doing because, you know, a lot of times when you're doing something in three people, it works out beautifully and you're like, oh, this is amazing. And you throw it to like 3000 people and you're like, oh, this thing does not work at all. <laughs> so, so scale brings its own challenges. 
um, and team and culture are no different. But I think there is a there is a methodical way to go about this. The first one is your individual or your your immediate core, if you would. So as a leader, when you go out, it's not very dissimilar to when a painter sits down and they're they're staring at a blank canvas and they're like, all right, you know, what is it that I'm going to do? And typically, you know, different different artists have different views, but you know, some of them will just kind of like quickly draw a sketch and then they'll pick one element. Most of the time, those are eyes just being the most important and they will really, really focus on it. And then that evolves into the rest of the features. So teams are not dissimilar to that. As a leader, when you are developing a team or when you're envisioning a team, you think and, and you really think of it like, what is it that you want to do? I'm not talking about skill sets. Don't start with titles. Not like, oh, I want a senior director of this and a VP of that. No, that's the wrong way. Don't even start with the skills like, hey, I need a developer and I need a product manager and stuff. No, you start with what you want your team to be. What's the culture that you want to have? What's the vibe, you know, as, as some people say. Um, and that comes from your gut, from your experience, who you are. Fortunately or unfortunately, most teams end up reflecting their leaders. Sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes that not so much. But you start with that. Then you start your core team, like think of it like in my case, my direct reports, right? So there's not that many of them. There are like six or seven of them. But they really, truly are what allow you to scale. They're never going to be an exact replica of you. You don't want that. Uh, if everybody's like you, then you've just killed diversity right then and there. So you start by building and what we call as an A-team. Well, what is an A-team? A-team is a set of individuals who are brilliant in their own right. They are strong. They're opinionated. They're strong-willed. Most of the people might think of them as troublesome, if you would but they're really good at what they do. You go, you find them. Don't be scared. They're gonna be, be smarter than you are. And hopefully they are, otherwise it's no point building a team. So find people who are brighter than you, smarter than you, maybe very different than you, and very different from each other as well. Then you collect them together. Well, now you have a bunch of A players. How do you convert that into a team? And that where it comes in, the culture, a culture built on mutual respect. A culture built on like, look, our vision, this is my vision. They buy into the vision. Don't tell them how to actually do it. That's why you hired them. I'm like, they're really good at executing. So don't get in their way. But at the same time, you know, have a collective vision. And then don't be a hands-off manager. A lot of time leaders come in and they say like, look, look, no, I don't want to be too involved because that's micromanagement. I call BS on that. And on the conversely, people say that, look, if I don't really interfere, I'm a very hands-off manager. Don't be a hands-off manager, especially if you're a leader. Don't tell them how to do their job, but be engaged with them. How are they feeling? You know, stimulate them intellectually and emotionally. They have to be vested into the vision because a lot of this thing, oh, this is just work. Well, work is more than half of our life. So you have to be emotionally vested in it. You need to get something out of it, you know? So it is personal in them. And then most importantly, focus on how do they develop. The thing about A players are they're excellent in one or two things, but there might be areas where they're not so much, but that excellence on one side pretty much overshadows everything else. But eke out those other areas with them and help them evolve, have them develop. And that's what really creates this culture of this core team. And then what happens is 
that now you're not replicating one individual. Now you're replicating the culture of this team and that scales. Because as more teams develop, those teams will then kind of fashion themselves on the culture of this core team and they'll add their own diversity to it. And now you have these groups of teams that are all across. And when they come together, that creates the culture of an organization. So, so in a nutshell, I know I went pretty long on this, but summarizing this, as a leader, you do not scale by replicating yourself. You create the culture of your team and through that example, everybody else creates their team and that is how you scale. Ah. Oh. So succinct. I love it. Now I want to die. I want to dive into this because I've got some questions. So mm -hmm. the first question I have is, have you ever seen it inside or outside of your organization with this? So you've, let's say I'm going to build like hypothetical scenario. So you've got a good culture, right? Yeah. And it's scaling, but then some bad culture pockets pop up, right? Cause let's say it's not perfect. It's not hundred percent. Let's say you're getting 80%. What do you right. do, what do you do with those? Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah. So this is bound to happen, right? Because company is kind of like a society. A society can never stay ideal. <laughs> that's just <laughs> that's just how it goes, right? We have seen it over and over and over again in 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 the history of mankind. You know, these cultures and these societies kind of like going up and then eventually coming down. So nothing is is permanent. But in in the case of a company. When you develop a culture and you see somebody or the pocket developing that is different. So I'm going to start with different. Okay. Why? Because when it's different, it could be different two ways. One way in which, remember, it's again about diversity, right? So just because they're different, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's bad for the company. So you have two options. Engage. Do not just kind of stamp it out. That's bad, 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 right? So engage with that and, and learn and understand. And maybe there's something in there that you can incorporate into the broader culture and the net result is going to be even better. That's one option. The other option is that, no, it really is disruptive and it's really not in a good way. And it's just simply not going to be work. And at that time, the decisiveness of leadership comes into play. Do not sit and wait. Act. Either embrace it or look, they might be great people. They might have a place in a different portion of the company, in a different organization or outside of the organization. So, but the key thing about the leader, as I said, speed, right? Uh, so sitting around waiting helps nobody. Engage directly, either learn from it or still learn from it and, and decide that this is not going to be part of our company. Uh, to me, these are decisions that as a leader, you have to take every single day. And that's what makes you a leader, not just doing all the good things and, and standing up and giving good news, but, but a leader is really, truly made when things are not going well. Yes, 100%. I mean, I was like a fan of founders and, and things like that before I, before I was one. And it, it just looked so cool. And then I realized, okay, the reason that there's a lot of benefit for being at the top is because it's the most difficult position to be in. I mean, it's just the hardest thing to do. And, you know, for me as an individual, I typically seek out the hardest things to do because I just have found I'm addicted to like growth. Like I like to grow. Yeah. And uh, the way I can do that is by putting myself in bigger, newer, scarier positions. Right. And so, yeah, I, I just, I really like the way your mind processes data. <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, that that's that's what extreme is good about right this is what where we excel we take tons of data and we make something out of it <laughs> so so i think it kind of like then figures why i work here and why i'm so invested in extreme because my individual thought process the way i think or the way i am is now reflected in you know what we build and how we are transforming the entire networking industry because um anyways it's it's kind of interesting that how you know companies start companies and leaders kind of select each other it's kind of one of those things right well that's why i like getting to talk to you and understand who you are as a person because i have found like you said earlier organizations tend to reflect uh, their leaders their mindsets mm-hmm. and their cultures and so i think that's useful for me i've i've had you know people come up to me like when i was doing the in speaking uh in-person speaking circuit last year, I did like over 50 different locations and people would come up to me and they'd say, Hey, I heard this person on your podcast. I like the way they think. I ended up like using them as a vendor or some mm-hmm. people said, like I got one individual who said uh, that they ended up moving halfway across the world and working for that leader and That's just awesome. all sorts of cool stories from getting to know like who the people are and how, how did you, how did you meet uh, the other executives? Like how did you get involved in extreme? Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting, right? So um, being in the tech industry, and and right now I'm in Toronto, but but I'm I'm a San Franciscan. That's my hometown. So being in the Silicon Valley, uh, you know, these things happen all the time. The company that I was working for, the unit that I ran, that actually got acquired by Extreme, and that's kind of how I met Ed, who's our CEO, uh, my boss, and it was just like this. As a part, as part of that acquisition, we just started chatting and we realized that, look, we're very different people, but we have that passion for what we do. Um, and we're really both very heavily invested in this culture thing. Um, and, and we have very clear, strong ideas of what we want to do. And from there, it just kind of started. And, and, and just like you mentioned, you know, you work for leaders, you work for culture. And I just came into the company and I was like, oh my God, I just love it. And there's so much potential. There's so much more that we can do. And then to me, it was like, look, we have this something amazing within Extreme, but why only within Extreme? Let's go change the whole networking industry. And why only networking industry? Technology is at the core of every experience in today's society one way or another, whether it is like kids talking to their grandparents on, you know, video chat or students kind of like, you know, e-learning or talking to each other all the way to like the way we meet new people that's online as well. You know, the way we communicate, the way we work, pretty much networking anchors today's society. So why stay at that? Let's just figure out that how we can take technology and really make it work for the society, democratize it. So far, technology, networking technology is kind of like have and have not. Some people get it. Some people don't get it. Uh, you know, you got to be a big company to be able to buy all of these. I think those are old ways of thinking about it. Let's democratize it. Let's make sure that the best and the brightest of the networking industry or the networking technology is available to everybody from that mom and pop shop at the corner, you know, to the largest chains in the world they should both have access to that technology, regardless of their constraints around money and skill set and stuff. So simplify it and then sit and watch what they do with this technology. So, so I think that's kind of what was the passion that we had and we kind of connected. And, and then, you know, now two and a half years later, here we are. 
And so what, what was that M&A process like? Were you, did you have the opportunity to be like involved in that initial acquisition or did you come? Okay. So you were, so did did you decide that like you, what your role would be at extreme networks or did you just kind of come in, handle the acquisition and then go up? Like, how did that work? So it's, it's, it starts a little bit earlier because, you know, once you're, once you're one of the main players in an acquisition on the part of like the unit or the company or the asset that is being sold, you obviously have multiple different options, suitors, if you would. And you do have, and yes, you know, being public companies, there's the shareholder value and there's all sorts of governance around it. But you do have a sort of a say, you do have your team that you love and you've built over years and you want to find the right home for that team. You want to find the right home for the technology that you've built. So there is a little bit of that influence as well. So of course, being part of that process, you know, when I really got to know Extreme and, and, you know, Ed and the team here, I really felt that this is the right place for the team that I've built, for the technology that I've built. And at that point, it wasn't really necessarily thinking about like, look, whether I'm going to be at Extreme or not. It was more about, you know, finding a home for the team. Um, but in that process, because, you know, I'm in a process that are pretty long drawn out on both sides of the closing. But then it, it kind of just really truly evolved from like, hey, I'm finding a home for my team here. I want to make sure that it settles there to let's go do this, you know, and let's change extreme and let's transform extreme. And and yeah, so it's kind of like worked that way. So it wasn't really like, look, this is the company that is buying. I want to play this role. No, but it just organically evolved from there. Yeah. And the culture was a match because they had leaders at extreme that saw the passion and then empowered the individuals to to do that and so that's that's a good fit then yeah it's like you know at extreme for us we have multiple multiple different values i'm mean, like we have five or six different values the two that i love the most one is candor which is let's just not beat about the bush let's just have a real conversation right it's it's not about being just being around blunt or or stuff like that it is about having a real conversation, right? Let's just sit down. Let's just really engage on the. So that's one value that I love. And the second one is inclusion. And that is something that is very near and dear to my heart because inclusion is something that is so broad. It is about diversity, but not just about gender diversity or racial diversity, but experiential diversity. People from different experiences, people with different thoughts, people with different circumstances, And then just bring all of them together and just bringing them together is not good enough, by the way. In my word, the inclusion means that bring them together and then create an environment where they can be their best alongside people who are different than them. And and that I think is something is very unique to extreme because, you know, when you look at CSR and other kind of like stuff on, on a lot of companies, they put it there. But, you know, being in the tech industry all my career, I just feel that there are very few companies that really, really internalize it and build everything around it. And Extreme is one of them. So yeah, great fit. I love being here. <laughs> I love when I get questions from people about like culture things. And I'd say 90% of the the questions I get or 80% of the questions I get are, are, well, it's, it's like the culture there. And then now, now that you are aware of this point, you get to choose, are you going to attempt to change the culture? Cause that's one possibility. You could attempt to change the entire company that, yeah. or you can attempt to find a place that has similar 
mm-hmm. you know, values to your complementary values. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, this is the whole point of being your best. Some people are change agents, right? So they are their best to your point, as you were mentioning earlier, that some people are best when they're really right there at the edge in the hardest problem or, you know, situation. Some people, you know, are more where they thrive in an area which kind of meets their personality and they like to be in the middle of something and then just, you know, make it execute and and roll along with it. So it just depends upon who you are. To me, black and white is not really fun in the sense that if you already know the answers, then eh, it's okay. Well, that's fine. But the magic really happens in the gray areas where you don't know the answer. You might not ever know the answer, but yet you need to move forward and you need to take your team forward and your company forward. And that to me is exciting. That's where magic happens, right? Yeah. What you're saying right now kind of reminds me, I was talking with uh, Shri, who's the CTO over at PayPal. And mm-hmm. we were talking about potential because at, during that conversation that week, I was struggling with the fact that I had achieved some goals I had thought would take me 15 years, but I achieved them in three. And I had the real, I had the moment of the realization and then I felt lost because I didn't <laughs> have other goals set up. And so I was talking with him about that and he was sharing with me this concept of like your potential is dynamic, like your potential mm-hmm. changes. And so that really helped me just hearing those, that simple phrase mm-hmm. really helped me have words to articulate how I feel inside chasing this thing that you never feel like you, you get to. And then that gives me some uh, like comfort in the process and understanding the core principles of how things work. And my Mm. other favorite thing he shared with me, I think you would like is he was talking about how confidence is cumulative. Mm -hmm. So like it, it builds up slowly over time in specific areas because I, I feel that that's true inside too, because I am not easily confident like but i didn't know how to say that before because i wouldn't say i'm not a confident person because there are some areas where i'm very confident right and that's simply because of like like software i mean i've been writing code for 17 years it's like yeah and you know like what do we want to talk about here <laughs> um <laughs> but there's other areas where i where i have less less experience and less confidence and so i that that concept of cumulative confidence those two things were like big takeaways i think you would really like him as a yeah. as a person i'd be more than happy to introduce you if you'd like no that 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 would be awesome and and just you know the, the things that he mentioned and the way you repeated it it's just so true because you know it's the same thing when when you are when you're doing something and you do it well and you get to like a really good state you have learned some skills out of it right so you've learned some and, and, you know, it's not skills in terms of, look, I can code or, you know, I can make a PowerPoint and stuff, not just that, but, but it's just some innate gut feels that you have developed, right? You can take those into a different area and apply them. So this is the part of it's being cumulative. And then in the second area, you will, you will kind of acquire some other gems, if you would. So think about it this way, that every journey that you take, you acquire some gems, some artifacts. And the more journeys you take, the more you acquire and the richer you are as a person and not richer in terms of money, hopefully that as well, but, but, but richer in terms of being your experience and being the depth of your personality and the depth 
of the culture that you can develop around you. So no, I love what he said. It, it just resonates really well with me. Yeah. And I think, I think you point out a, a good point too. You can gain a lot of experience and learn a lot and get a lot of these gems and, and go over a long period of time without getting money. Like you can yeah. get, like musicians, <laughs> I mean, like some, some musicians, <laughs> but what I've noticed too, is that like, if, if you can, like I, I started to look at it like a video game and myself being a character and me being the player of the game yeah. and like money is an important part because it enables you to do more. Uh, you can yeah. scale yourself. You can, it just, it's a tool. Um, yeah. So it's definitely not everything, but it is part of the mix. And if you can grow yourself and have awareness and make sure that you're, you, you have your money component taken care of, mm-hmm. then you can just go a lot farther and it takes a long a long time but i don't know whoever designed this game like whatever's going on with life <laughs> it's great job because like you love it you hate it it's great it sucks you're but uh yeah. <laughs> patience is my um my thing that i'm learning and i'm finding and tell me if this is true as well so i'm 32 just for some context and i have found that patience becomes significantly easier as you get older right yeah, it, it does. I, I do believe uh, so. Because, you know, the idea with the patience, and I know it will take us into a different direction, but but the idea there is that why people have patience or not patience has a lot to do, in addition to a lot of other things, it has to do about what have they experienced so far. Because if they've experienced enough, then sometimes they're willing to wait and see which direction does it go. But at early age, you, you're just too, you just want to quickly see where this goes. You are in accumulation phase. Uh, but as you get older, you're still accumulating, but now you're more intrigued by the opportunities of it going one way or another or yet completely a different way. So, so I do agree with you that patience does show up in some cases, you know, with age, but it's not just age. It's also with experience because if somebody is like, you know, 89 years old and they haven't really done anything, I mean, like that might not, that age might not translate into patience, but to me, patience comes with accumulation of experiences. Oh, that's a good one. That is, that is, that is true because you can have the same experience every day for 89 years and not grow. And then you can have someone else who's had 30 years of like constant growth and they could be, you know, be farther ahead. Cause it's like, it's like a balance. You're mentioning patience, but then you're also mentioning discipline to, cause it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to allow the actions to take place and allow the time to pass. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating topic. I mean, I mean, we can sit here and talk about it like for days, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm sure you have some other ideas in your mind I do. for the chat as well. Um, but it is a fascinating topic though. <laughs> the last piece on that is a few years ago, uh, I think five years ago, I made a perception calculator because mm-hmm. I started to notice this. And so what I, what I found out like mathematically is, I, I don't know if I'm stating it right because I haven't said the words in a long time, but when you're one day old and you go from day one to day two, that is like a hundred percent of your life. Right. Yeah. But then as it goes forward, it splits farther and divides mm-hmm. up more. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that formula about how long one day is for an eight year old versus mm-hmm. perceptively how long one day is for someone who's 32, there's a big mathematical difference. And 
that yeah. was one of the the things I was really interested in. And I I built that calculator before I had kids. Yeah. <laughs> now that I have kids, I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and I can really relate to that. I have two little ones. My daughter is almost three years old, and my little guy, he's six months old. So I totally understand what you're talking oh, about. Yeah, my daughter is. She'll be three in September, and then my son is. One in one in a couple months, so just yeah. a little bit, just a little bit older than your son. So it's just very, very similar there. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And and it just, it's it's you know, just before we move off of this topic, because obviously we all love talking about our kids. They they are kind of the joy of our life. But on even on an intellectual level, it is so interesting to watch world happen from their point of view. Exactly as you said, for them. It is like one day it could be a huge, massive change, and for you it's just like another day. And I think that brings in that that difference of perception that you're talking about. And it's really interesting because no matter where you are, if you understand this perceptive context of other people, when you're really in a situation and you have to make a decision, you could essentially be 18 different people in your head and really have 18 different perspectives before you make a call. Uh, and that is, that is a quality. I actually think that since, since having kids, I have become a better decision maker. <laughs> and it's just such a powerful thing. It's just amazing. Yeah, I actually, I've thought about that too. I, I called it like iterating through perspectives because mm-hmm. I was reading this psych, psychology author and he had said, there were like eight core mindsets and then like a 16 split, uh, like variations of those eight cores. And it was just this, this psychologist I was reading. It was his concept of, of how mind works. And he said, different people have these different perspective sets. And after reading that, I was like, wow, that's brilliant. But the way my, I happen to know that my mind works a little bit differently. And the thing that I, I observe my mind doing is iterating through different perspectives to figure out which one that I find is the one I want. And that one was not accounted for, which is actually why I named my company like 10 years ago. I named it Logic 17 because it was only logical right. that there would be like a 17th perspective, an abstract one. It was just like design agency, app agency that I had for, for about 10 years. But yeah, dude, you're awesome. Let's, <laughs> let's do some business stuff so, so we can understand your products. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so let's do that. I have some confusion. I'll explain. You were describing earlier networks, democratization, mm-hmm. empowering people all the way from mom and pop to enterprise. So I'm assuming that you have products that both the mom and pop can use and the enterprise. Yes. Can you talk to me about like what these products are and who uses them? Yeah, no, absolutely. I can. So, so you know, networking as a technology is, is an interesting area because um, a lot of people directly do not kind of relate to it, although they use it on a daily basis. So think about pretty much anything. Your cell phone runs on a network. Your Wi-Fi, your internet runs on a network. You know, we are talking to each other on this video conferencing through a network, right? When you go into a store, and you know, in some of the stores, these are like electronic shelf labels and the labels change and stuff. Actually, a lot of them are our customers. But that happens on the network when you get like, oh, you know, you've been searching for this, like, would you like this offer and blah, 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 you know, coupons or electric coupons, that happens on the network. Now that's on the consumer side. On the other side, pick up anything like, look, like, for example, NFL is, is, is a huge partner of ours. We are, we are the official partners with NFL. When you go into that stadium and you're enjoying a football game and, and you love it and 
and you know you have your wireless you can text it you can facebook it or instagram it or whatever else people do these days like all of that thing is possible by the power of the networks you go to a hospital people are you know talking to their and now more so than ever people are talking to their doctors you know through video conferencing you instantly go and get your prescription P, um, hospitals are able to go and bring up complete units within days. I mean, like with COVID, you heard it in various different countries where it's just like, oh, they, they set up, you know, an entire um, hospital in five days. Like, for example, it's not just the construction part, but making all of those machines, those fancy machines, like work with each other, that's network, right? I, I mean, I can give you a thousand examples. Now, behind this all, which I call as experience, is a set of technologies and some of them are kind of rather boring right there's like switches and there's routers and there's wireless aps and there's 5g and lte and stuff like that so that's the, the core technologies now core technologies by itself yes we develop them we have hardware we have software we have management we have orchestration but the real um, value that extreme brings is to bring all of these components together in a call it a package which anybody can go adopt and deploy to get to whatever they are doing. We have large hospitals, which are our customers. They are able to do this telemedicine. They are able to uh, you know, bring up um, a new doctor's office uh, you know, in an instant and stuff. Our set of our technologies are behind that. Similarly, I talked about NFL. There's a lot of other stadiums. They do the same thing. Now you go to education where like simple examples, you know, schools can actually set, you know, some security around perimeter, you know, security that who's in there, who's not, uh, they can do automatic attendance, you know, without really doing yes, ma'am, present kind of a thing these days. Uh, recently, we had the school system, very large school system, they actually came to us and they said, like, look, this vaping thing is getting a bit of a issue. Is there a way where we can detect that? And we're like, yes, we can. So our set of our technologies kind of help them do that esports right we are big 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 supporters of esports so there are so many in manufacturing i mean the whole industry 4.0 is based on the networking technology all these sensors kind of coming together so if you look at it so to us there are products there are services because of course you know when you're deploying them a lot of different our customers technology is not their business they're just using technology to advance their business goals so they need help in that so that's where services comes in Products are the elements of that, and then cloud, which essentially brings all of this together. So in a way to think about it, it is that we have cloud technologies, we have products, elements, and we have services. You wrap them together, and this turns into a package that a mom and pop shop to the largest enterprises and service providers in the world, they can just then go and deploy that. So hopefully that, that makes a little bit more sense that what is it that we do? We really are the facilitators of what your business goal is to what your capabilities are. We bridge the gap between the two with products, with technologies, with services, with packages. That's who we are. And we work with everybody on that spectrum from people who have no technical skill, I mean, companies who have no technical skills to companies that are super advanced and everybody in the middle. That's amazing. So you guys do like everything network. We do everything network. We are one of the very few companies. I would even venture to say that at this point in time, we are the only networking technology provider that goes end to end 
in a cohesive fashion. Now, what do I mean by cohesive fashion, right? Coming full circle back to the M&A part, right? So a lot of companies, as they grow, what they do is they say like, look, I've acquired this technology or this company, they create a different business units. And what happens arguably, I mean, whether people accept it or not in business units, you know, business units develop their strategies and then GMs kind of fight with GMs. And, you know, there's a little bit of an internal competition, some more, some less. But in our company, that goes back to the culture. We believe in all extreme as one team. We have no business units. We have this entire end-to-end technology portfolio that goes all the way from your branches, your wireless, to your IT, to your 5G, all the way into some of the largest service providers and data centers in the world, and that all belongs into one team. So that's my team, right? So when we develop them, we think of them as a single thread. So when you work with Extreme, whether you're buying like the tiniest, smallest thing from us or you know the largest of our products for as a telco, you get the same exact experience. And that is unique to us. There is no other networking technology vendor that can claim that. And that's really truly why you know we are not just transforming ourselves, but we're really transforming this for our customers and our partners and our users as well. Because as you and I uh, agreed earlier, consistency is important. When you apply that principle to networking technology, then the consistency of experience from one end to another end, that is the key and extreme excels at that. I like how you talked about the, the teams and the GMs because that's, that's you know true, right? At, at companies that have that culture. And what I noticed is that some, some of the competition so, or some people will compete against others and then some people mm-hmm. compete against themselves. Yeah. And I found that like, I'm way more interested in competing against myself because it allows me to sort of like isolate and, yeah. and I can, I can control that. Like I can control the speed, which I move. I can't control the speed at which I'm getting information about how others have moved. Right. Right. So I like that concept of competing against yourself. Have you ever heard of the company Sienna? They build like the underwater yeah. cables. So I got to talk with Steve over there and one of the conversation topics that came up, he has like 25 patents, awesome nerd guy. We were talking about like mm-hmm. optical to digital conversion and how stuff gets you know, transferred across continents and all of that great stuff. But one of the things that he said that you also mentioned is that a huge driver of this you know, increased need for decreased latency is the esports world. He said mm-hmm. that like he's hearing a lot from there. You've said that in, in, the, in the conversation too. Tell me more about like this growth or what your thoughts are on, on the esports world. I, I think esports are, are going to rule the world. <laughs> um, they, they are just, they are, you know, it's different generations have different kind of ways to engage with sports. You know, the newer generation for them, esports is bigger than perhaps, you know, the football and the baseball and, and the soccer and the crickets of the world, right? So they really engage towards that. Now, if you look at it, so there's a whole ecosystem that is building around that. Now, the thing about eSport is that it is not confined to a physical space like any of the other spaces, you know, be it a football stadium or a park or, you know, a pitch or whatever the case might be. eSports could be across the continents or around the globe, people interacting with us. And because it's sports, so it's in real time. 
So now what that does is that that puts a very different level of expectation on the networking technology because, I mean, like, I, I don't know if you're a video game person. I'm not really that much. I see my nephews and stuff play that. But the thing is that they are like sitting there talking to somebody on the other side of the planet and, and they're playing in real time and talking and stuff. Look, that is an experience, right? And this experience, as we move forward in time in the newer generations, their expectation of the experience is entirely different than perhaps it was for me. For me, like, sure, you know, I send somebody an email and then they respond like in three hours. I was like, whoa, that was really fast. I'm talking about, you know, when, when in like early 90s, when, when internet really truly started happening. Here today, they're instantly talking to like 450 people, right? And it's just instant feedback. So that expectation of the user is morphing so rapidly and esports is just kind of like a perfect example of that. The people who are engaging into that and more importantly, the people who are spectators because I think there is no other sports in which the spectator is actually part of the sport in, in, a, in a certain way, right? They're not just the spectators. So, so that new experience puts such a huge amount of uh, requirement on, on networks and then you actually go and you built for it. Because sometimes you build technology that changes the experience, and sometimes the experience changes and you build the technology to actually accommodate that. And that's kind of like, you know, that's what, you know, a lot of people ask me that, look, what you are now the CTA, what do you really think about that? Um, are you really about technology and stuff? And I was like, no, I'm not. I have people who work for me who are amazing in technology. No, my goal is very, very simple. How do you take the, your technology and change the experience for the users and the society as a whole and flip it around how the changing experience or expectations of the society transforms the technology that you have? Um, and I think esports is a perfect example of that. We are very big in that, you know, the SUNY school systems, you know, we do a lot of stuff with them on esports, you know, we have sponsored some of them, a lot of it runs on our technology. I'm a big fan, I'm not even a video game player, but I'm a big fan of what esports is doing, you know, not to the, not just to the experience of the kids who are playing that or adults who are playing that, but also to the networking industry, right? So it's, it's just a fascinating topic. Yeah, it reminds me of like the legitimate business reason, right? Mm -hmm that will help get us to the point where we can all go inside the computers. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always, I'm always forecasting. I'm always saying, okay, I, I've just become fascinated recently with like my life expectancy and then where technology will be near yeah. then. Yeah. Because I, with, with, without hyperbole, I, I actually believe that we will be close or there by the time my life expectancy ends. Like, yeah. I think, I think we will be close close enough or there i mean because yeah. i've you know like ideally I'd probably have like 50 60 years left and and yeah. i think that i think that what can happen see the thing was is i mean and when i was in middle school i can remember that and i remember yeah. what technology in the world was like and it mm -hmm. was just so different yeah. so different yeah and and i mean like so you said you're 32, I'm mm -hmm. 43. So we have around like 10, 11 years between us. But my experience with technology growing up was probably fundamentally different than yours. Yeah. Although there's like 10, 11 years in the middle. And now as you move forward, even 
you know, like in five years, technology pretty much transforms itself. Coming back to your point of like, when does technology and humanity kind of combine into one, the singularity point? It's an interesting topic. I actually believe that it'll happen. Um, and you know, the, but the way I have a slightly different opinion on this, I don't think it would be technology that would drive it. I think it would be the need that will drive it. I'm a big fan of expressed needs, latent needs, and then incipient needs. And what happens is that sooner or later, this need, somebody is going to pick it up and will believe that a business can be made out of it, and then it'll happen. It's just really fascinating how business and technology kind of like is a one-to-one punch, and when they come together, things just happen. Can you repeat that again? You said express needs, latent needs. What were the three needs? Yeah, so express need, latent need, and then incipient needs. So express need, I, 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 I want this cup of coffee, I'm expressing it you are a coffee shop and you're giving me that. So that's an express need. Um, the user has it and somebody provides it. Later needs is something like that the customer doesn't really know that they need it yet, but you come up with the idea. For example, eSports, who knew like six years ago that people are going to want to compete against each other playing video games across the continent, right? But somebody came up with the idea. So that was a latent need that was there, but not really understood. And then incipient need is like something that just simply not possible. Like for example, you just expressed a desire or a need, either way, whatever you, you want to call it, but that, look, the way I translate it as a business person is that, look, there's a person out there who believes that why do we have to end this experiment or this human experiment? Why can't it just change form from this physical world to perhaps a digital world? That's to me is an incipient need. And at some point, somebody is going to go after that and then technology will catch up. It's, it, that's how I believe that it's a, it's a cyclic nature of the experiential need and the technology available. They both spur each other on. And it's only when they, when they come together, that's when magic happens, right? Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. You, yes, when they come together, that is when the magic happens. But mm-hmm. I, I think you also uh, alluded to a minute ago, or my brain just did this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we record it. I can find out later. But the core human needs expressing themselves. So for example, like I believe we'll become interplanetary because we have such a core human desire for freedom and exploration. Yeah, I believe yeah. that we'll drive video games farther, do the upload concept because we have strong desires for mm-hmm. not only escapism on recreational aspects of it, but on mm-hmm. non-recreational aspects of it, we have a strong desire for persistence. I mean, mm-hmm. need for human persistence has got to be the highest, highest need. I mean, yeah. it gets dark when you start talking about situations where you would have to like choose between things, but for that is, that's like in our code, like deep, mm-hmm. deep, deep down is the, is the code to persist. To keep going absolutely 100 percent. and and i mean like that exploration part and like look this is how you know our forefathers discovered the rest of the world and all the con- continents what makes us believe that we or our kids or their kids will not go exploring the rest of the planets or the entire galaxies it is going to happen it is bound to happen it is in our nature it's in our dna it is going to happen it's just like and then what happens is because it is going to happen, because it is in our need, knowingly or unknowingly, we are developing technologies that will get us there. Now you can take the same thing and apply it to all different. I love the part about the persistence of human, I call it the human spirit or humanity, human experience, whatever you want to call it. 
I think that is something that will absolutely happen because you know what? We are humans and we like to thrive. We like to explore and we like to strive to get to what we want. Um, and that is the biggest saving grace for this species. That's why we are so resilient. That is why we are who we are. And this will continue driving us. You know, we, yes, lots of dark clouds around if you look, uh, but I believe in the human spirit to endure, to persist, and to progress. And technology is something that is an instrument that we have created to help us do that faster, better, more efficiently. Um, so in the end, it's all about human experience. Technology helps. You're giving me goosebumps, man. I love it. You're motivating me. You're getting me all pumped up. And yeah, this is awesome. I really appreciate you taking time Same today. Here, man. It, was, it was fun. It, it, it was great chatting with you. And you were absolutely right. It was just a conversation. We could have been having this on a cup of coffee, you know, just randomly without even knowing each other. It's just awesome. Loved it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nabil. You have a wonderful day. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.